Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, January 30th, we're studying Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. As Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount, we come to some of the most widely quoted, perhaps misquoted, words of Jesus from the scriptures, judge not that ye not be judged. Do those words mean what the world today thinks those words mean? As is always true with God's word, we need to hear the whole context of what Jesus says, which today's text gives us the opportunity to do. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Ulmer serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning. So, Pastor Ulmer, as we get started today, give us some context here in the Sermon on the Mount. We're beginning chapter 7 today. What What's around it that we need to know that's going to help us today? Yeah, uh, I think in order to to discuss anything that's going on in the sermon in the Sermon of the Mount, you kind of have to start at the beginning of the sermon where Jesus sits down and and he teaches the people, and over over the course of this sermon, he preaches the law in a way that amplifies uh, the law. So the people had received uh, the Ten Commandments from Moses. They kind of grew up in that that covenantal law. And they had come up with a whole bunch of of rules surrounding uh, those Ten Commandments. And part of the the religious organization was to try to fulfill those laws as part of human righteousness. And what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount in many of these cases is amplifying them to the point where human beings are supposed to understand that there's no way that they can complete the law themselves. Jesus even says in Matthew 5, kind of towards the beginning of the sermon, that uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the reason why this is such a big deal is the scribes and the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, people that devoted their lives to God's word and to the law. And as far as righteousness to the law, uh, they would have understood that they were righteous and the people would have understood that if anyone were righteous, it would be them. So then how, how does that bring us forward into today's section? I mean, we've heard, we've heard Jesus get done talking about money and worry, treasures in heaven, seeking first God's kingdom. How's, how's that going to lead us forward into what we've got today? Yeah, so in Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus uh, makes a pretty, pretty bold uh, statement do not judge in order that you might not be judged, indicating that a judgment for a Christian or a follower of Jesus is one of those places where human righteousness does not exceed that of scribes and, and Pharisees. And and that uh, topic of judgment is what is going to be the central theme, at least for this text that we're discussing today. So let's go ahead and and read that text. Then we're in Matthew chapter 7, beginning at the first verse. Jesus continues, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. you Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. 
Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That's the text for today, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. So, Pastor Ulmer, as we get started with this text this morning, I think, I think we, we have to address the common view of this text in the world today. Because I'll hear people say this to me, you know, Pastor, who am I to judge, right? And they've got this in their mind. Or you'll just hear it out, out in the world, right? Judge not, right? That, that's just sort of thrown out sort of as shorthand for this whole section. So I, I think before we go into what Jesus is saying, we kind of need to at least address that. What When the world hears these words or when the world uses these words in our culture today, what, what do they try to do with them? Yeah, I mean, as, as far as the world and in our culture goes, I think that the statement "don't don't judge me" uh, is one of those ways that human beings try to excuse sin. It's it's a manner of uh, making oneself righteous, and that kind of gets it's kind of the the opposite end of the the real question at hand. It's not necessarily that people aren't supposed to be judged because there's no one who can make the judgment. It's all about ascertaining who the proper judge is, and we, by faith, know who that judge is. The first commandment tells us, you shall have no other gods. Uh, What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. He is the creator. He is the ruler. He is the one who gets to judge and uh, Part of our living our lives as human beings is uh, learning not to usurp God's place, but to live as his creature. I, I think the way that you summarized it very succinctly is it puts, puts the, the point on it very well that the world would try to use these words to justify themselves, which is what we're always trying to do as sinners. And, and so to say, well, you can't judge me, it's being thrown out as a way to say, I'm, I'm going to justify myself, or maybe I don't even have a need for justification. I'm okay as I am. So I think that's a very helpful way of seeing the misuse of these words that's out there. And certainly that I, as a sinner, would try to do with those words myself is to try to use them to justify myself. And we know that's not what Jesus wants us to do with these words. So having yeah. laid that out, what's going, what, is, what does Jesus want us to do with these words, Pastor Holman? Yeah, I I think to to answer that question which I think is an excellent question uh it it should be stated that pastors and and especially young pastors this is something that I know I personally struggled with before to answer your question if it would be okay I'd like to at least in, Go right in, ahead. tell a stor- story about uh my formation at the seminary because uh, essentially this this topic came up uh, in my theological interview with Dr. Adams and Dr. Cole back at the seminary in 2010, and Dr. Adams posed me a, a question uh, as somebody who is about to go into to the world and serve God's church as a pastor. And he, he decided to, to ask me this question by doing a, a role play where he was a congregation member of mine coming into my office and confessing to me, uh, a particular sin, and he said, Pastor, what do you uh, have to say about that? And I, in my kind of naive non-wisdom, had started uh, telling him all the ways that I thought uh, his actions and his thoughts, his deeds, his misdeeds were wrong. And this story, the reason I'm telling it is because for almost 10 years it stuck with me so hard, uh, Dr. Adams turned to me and said, Pastor Ulmer, I don't care what you have to say. Tell me what God's Word has to say. And that that really stuck with me because it's the truth. We as human beings don't have the capability to judge because that, that duty falls to God himself. But what he has given to us in his Word is uh, the instructions by which he created us to operate and uh, he lets us know that his desire for us is to live according to his uh, words and commands. I mean, mm-hmm. 
Second Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So what Jesus is telling us not to do is judge by our own standards and our own merit, but when there is issues in the church, including in our own lives, how we can speak to that is using God's word. So Jesus here is not, as we've seen elsewhere, it's it's not a blanket sort of statement that takes out, well, I mean, what the pastoral office there does. So if in the pastoral office, Pastor Elmer, when, when someone comes to you and, and says, Pastor, well, what, what about this, right? What What's the truth about this? Mm-hmm. And you, as a pastor, speak God's word, which then stands as a judge either for or against what has been told you. Correct. That's not what Jesus is prohibiting here. Is that what you're it's saying? Not, it's not what he's prohibiting here. So what, what is, I mean, then get a little more specific with us. What is he prohibiting here? What is, what is this sort of you know, judge not that you be not judge? What, what does he have in mind? I, I, I see this as, as Jesus prohibiting us as human beings and pastors, judging people based on our opinions about what is right and wrong. Really getting down to the, to the core is, judging people based on our desires, thus putting ourselves in the place of God instead of letting God uh, stand as the ruler and judge of all. So again, we're, we're back to that first commandment issue that you, you yes. brought out at the very beginning, that, that part of what Jesus is getting at, or maybe all of what he's getting at, is who is the judge? Who is God? Is it you, or is it God and his word? And that's that's what's standing behind what Jesus is saying here, yes? I, I believe that to be the case, yes, sir. So, so then what's, I mean, Jesus speaks here pretty, um, he puts quite the picture in our minds as, as he gets into this, doesn't he? What, what's the mm-hmm. picture that Jesus is using to, to really stick this in our minds? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's very, very... Uh, kind of visual, isn't it? Where where Jesus tells people, if if we if we are judging our brothers and sisters on the basis of what we personally feel is right and wrong, not based on God's word, um, doing so in order to usurp God's place to to raise up our standing and to lower our brothers and sisters, what ends up happening is the judgment that we uh, speak is going to be brought around. Um, and, and God, who is the judge of all, will condemn us for our, for our idolatry. And in order to make that real, really sticky and visual, um, Jesus uses this image of chaff and, and beams and eyes, where saying if, if you are judging your brother or your sister in, in a way that uh, makes you God, you are trying to, to pick the chaff, the little specks that are kind of filtered out of the grain harvest, little tiny particles out of your brother's eye when you've got a, a gigantic piece of wood sticking out of yours. So he's, he's really, in, in very visual ways, condemning the sin of idolatry in this uh, particular passage. I like that, Pastor Elmer. Visual ways, things in your eyes. That's, that's good. I don't know if you intended it, but it was good. <laughs> no. I, so... <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Elmer. So you're good. Okay. So one one thing I want to come back to before we leave this, you, you keep talking about if you judge your brother and sister in this way. And so it, it sounds like you're talking about that Jesus has in mind here the the church acting towards itself. So Christians dealing with fellow Christians, not Christians dealing toward the world. Why are you why are you making that? That we're talking about judging brothers and sisters here. I I, I think this kind of goes into at least one interpretation on how uh, we can talk about verse 6, do not give holy things to dogs nor cast your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them under their feet, and after turning they attack you. Um, in, in the church, we are called to live uh, that active holy life as part of our sanctification, and, and as such... When there is sin in the body of Christ, it is imperative that we handle it in, in a God-pleasing way because what sin does in the community is tear down and destroy. 
So, I mean, one of, one of the, the principal purposes of the, the body, the, the church, is to, to find where people are erring, and, and not by my own personal opinion, but by the Word of God, and, and bring about uh, the only solution to uh, sin, including idolatry, which is uh, confession and absolution. So it's all about uh, restoring the, the people, restoring the body through uh, confession and absolution. So, so then the, the matter of, of judgment is going to come up in the church. It's going to happen according to the Word of God, not according to any human opinion, but it must happen according to the Word of God. What about, what about these words in terms of the way that they might get used toward the world and the, the church's job in terms of proclaiming that word to the world? Because I think that's, going back to the beginning of our conversation, one of the ways that these words get used is by the world, non-Christians, toward Christians. And, and they will say, right, to the church, who are you to judge me? Look, Jesus says, judge not. And so you, Christian, cannot judge me, non-Christian. What about, what about that as an application for these words? Yeah, I, I, think, I think they apply because I think you have, a, you have a nice, clever rhetorical trap there because, uh, as we talked about earlier, that self-justification is, is there because I think any time that the world or non-believers would try to approach a Christian in this is to get the church, to get the, the Christians back down. And I would say um, very, very clearly as, as a Christian and a pastor that if this situation were to come up with me just speaking to the world, I would say, brother, sister, I, I do not judge you. Um, but God's word is clear. This is what we believe, and this is uh, where we believe sin exists, and that sin uh, will rot, that sin will decay, that sin will hurt. So, brother or sister, your problem is not with me. Uh, your your problem is with God, the creator of heaven and earth. Um, and, and my having that conversation would be hopefully to to make the world realize that, hey, your problem is not with the church, your problem is not with Christians, it's not with pastors. Your Your, your problem is sin, and the only way to come about it is is the only a mechanism by which God has given us to restore people, which is, once again, to confess our sins, to say the same thing that God says about us back to him and receive forgiveness um, at the foot of Jesus' merciful cross. So it, in, when we think about these verses in terms of the Christian's posture toward the world then, what what we're saying is that one we we stand not in judgment over them because it's not our place it is this is god's word that the church is speaking we also we also stand not in judgment upon them because we know that that if not for the grace of god unbelief idolatry self-justification that's exactly where we would be and and Amen. so part of what these words are doing and i think this is true both for the Christian as, as the Christian relates to the world and as the Christian relates to the church, is that it's, it's giving us a, what, what's, our, what's our posture towards those? It's not one that first and foremost sets ourselves over the other, but rather puts ourselves on the same playing field, recognizing that there's only one judge, and that's God, and he's given us his word, there's the standard. Is, is that kind of the, the overarching picture, perhaps, Pastor Elmer? I I would agree with every word that you said there. You don't have to, you know. You could you could you could, I, you could. <laughs> I'm glad. I, I mean, know, I'm glad we're on the you, same page. You, you, you summed it up. You summed it up well. <laughs> I mean, at at the end of the day, I think this conversation is all about understanding that we live in a world that has been completely broken by the effects of sin. Um, the the grace of which is, of course, a sin against the first commandment, idolatry. We we see it. I mean, I see it in my own life. I see it in the lives of every single person I've ever come in contact with because at the end of the day, we seek to put our fear, our love, and our trust in ourselves uh, way more often than we would, we would care to admit. And without the cross of Christ, we as Christians confess openly that we would all be doomed. But in repentance... 
because of what Jesus has done for us, there is forgiveness and life for all. And in preaching God's word to the world, that is the message that I think the church wants the world to understand. So that the, the first thing that we're doing is not this attitude of judgment, not, a, not an attitude of condemnation, but rather one that would speak gospel, grace, salvation, which certainly, you know, we have to, we have to be crushed by the law first. But, but the goal of crushing with the law is, is raising with the gospel. And I, I mean, I'm trying to, so I'm, as, as you're talking, as we're, we're thinking through this, I'm trying to keep this, you know, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount too. And you think about where Jesus has been all along. He, he started with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are you. That, that's how we, we get into the sermon, with Jesus' blessing. And then yep. he declares us salt and light to, to go, and, and he, he shows us what life according to his law looks like. And as you rightly said at the very beginning, that law, Jesus shows us that the standard of the law is far higher than we ever imagined. And we, we constantly fall short. Now, of course, as Christians, though, we do recognize that the Holy Spirit does work fruit in our lives. And so we, we do start to see some of these things. And, and, you know, I mean, the things that he talks about in chapter 6, the, the almsgiving, the praying, the fasting, the, the lack of worry, we start to see this fruit in our lives. And so, so maybe the idea here is in chapter 7, we're, we're looking at ourselves and, and maybe we're starting to think, well, you know, hey, I'm, I'm kind of getting this. Yeah. And we start to look at, at our brothers and sisters in the church. We start to look at the world and we think, ah, I'm, I'm good, right? I'm, I'm better than them. And Jesus is, it's like he's maybe, he's bringing us back again into that, that law. It says, hold on a second. There's one standard. There's one God. It's not you. Don't judge. A- amen. Because at the end of the day, when, when put in the first commandment, I think the only appropriate response is to be humbled. So, so Pastor Omar, I mean, so Jesus here lays out a, a picture of, of what life in the church looks like, that, that it's not first and foremost one of, of judging another, of setting yourself over another, but rather it starts with a confession of sins, recognizing that within my own eye is this enormous plank, which is just, a, I mean, an a, a amazingly exaggeration of a picture, right? That, that there would yeah. be a log sticking out of your eye. It's just incredible to even try to imagine. But that's, that's the seriousness of my sin. And so my life within the church must start with, with confession of that sin. But, but as we've been saying, and I think we need to, to keep this in mind, right, that, that there is a place for God's word. I mean, there must be a place for God's word to speak within the church to call us all to account. And, and as a Christian who has confessed my sin, as I begin to speak that word to my brother, then it's going to call him to that same repentance. And so there is that, you know, and that's, that's the tension here with this judge not, and yet the, the word is always active within the church. How do we, yeah. how do we hold on to that, that, that sort of tension here that's going on? Yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a beautiful way of looking at it because there is a lot of tension there because there's always the, we, we we come into the, into the church via confession and absolution. I mean, when we confess our sins, we are we are not speaking our own words. We are just merely saying to God what He has already said about us. Using kind of this image here, when when we get up on Sunday morning and we go to church and we go to confession, or you go to your pastor's office and receive private confession, we're literally saying, "Lord, you say that I have a gigantic log in my eye." And you are right. Forgive me. And and when this is done, it it a lot it sets us right with God, and also should set us right with our neighbor. Correct? You got the vertical and horizontal righteousness. So that gives us the the ability to kind of remove that log and see rightly. I think that the difficulty is the tension comes from when when we approach brothers and sisters who are erring, we have to be very conscious about when we speak to them their error, we are speaking God's word to them and not ours. I think for for me that's always the the biggest struggle. What when I when I speak to you as a as a brother or sister, when I speak to you as your pastor, um, I am restricted to what God says about you, not what I have to say about you. 
Yeah, that that's that's the challenge. And and I think particularly in in today's world where these words do get weaponized against Christians that it would would behoove us to to be all the more diligent in making sure that as we speak these words we are speaking God's word. Um our 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 classmate actually, uh, Pastor Sean Smith, who's the the host of uh, Concord Matters here um on KFUO. He he's he likes to say that that in this in situations like these, he, he likes to just read God's word, right? I mean, yeah. so so just just use what the word says. You shall not steal. Uh, you shall yeah. not covet. You shall well, not bear. What, false that's witness. the word, right? And let the yeah. word do the work. And and if if any condemnation comes from that word, that is God's word working to reprove and correct. It's not my word, it's not my opinion, it's not my action, it's God and the Holy Spirit doing it, his work. And, and I think right. that's, um, that's a good model to how, for how the church should operate. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFO. We're looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Thursday, January 30th, we are studying Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12 with Pastor Matt Ulmer of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, prior to the break, we were looking at Jesus' first five verses here in Matthew 7, the matter of, of judgment, that, that Christians are not set over one another or set over the world in judgment, but that God is the judge. It is his word that does the judging, and Christians are under that. We confess our sins, and in that confession and absolution, we speak God's word to each other and to the world. And then, then Jesus, as he, he moves out of that, it seems, but but maybe there's a connection into these words in, in verse 6, and it's a different picture. He's, he's talking about dogs and pearls and pigs and trampling. What, how, does, how does verse 6 fit into this? What, what's he saying when he talks about not giving dogs what is holy, not throwing pearls before pigs? Yeah, I, I think that there's, there's a couple ways that this kind of, can kind of be interpreted, but the first thing to understand is, you got to understand in context what dogs and, and pigs are in the context of Jesus. I mean, we, we might think of dogs as kind of man's best friend and, and pigs as a nice farm farmyard animals that kind of clean up the waste of the farm and we can turn them into pork chops and sausages later. Uh, but this is, not, this is not how people understood dogs and pigs in, in kind of Old Testament and New Testament Judea. These were... Uh, scavengers, these were filthy, dirty animals that you do not uh, give, th- you do not give them things that are valuable. You don't, you don't let them have these things lest they be profaned. Um, in, in one way of understanding this, kind of as we talked before we recorded this, um, one way of seeing this is that we we don't um, we don't give uh, what is holy to people who who are openly kind of mocking God's word, right? So, so, so speaking these God's word of judgment to people who are openly hostile and, and mocking is probably not going to do anything but uh, make the Christian endure abuse. So may, maybe one way of interpreting this is to to kind of see them as words of wisdom to the Christian being discerning on how God's word is applied to the broader world. I, I wouldn't put that in. I wouldn't speak that way concerning the church speaking to, to members of the church. But one thing that you brought up, and maybe you want to talk about it some more, is understanding that when we when we cast judgment on brothers and sisters who are 
holy and precious like like pearls are when we when we end up profaning our, our brothers and sisters in Christ by passing judgment on them we we can actually kind of throw throw them out of the kingdom and and we got to be careful about that too yeah that that first the first one that you mentioned i think is the when you look in to the history of the church, you read church fathers. This goes back a long way from the history of the church, even into a document called the Didache, which is a, an early church document that, that deals with worship practices in the early church. So it, it goes way back. As to what, what you're saying there, that to give what is holy to dogs, to give the pearls to the swine, that would be to give the gifts of the church to open unbelievers. I mean, just to maybe a shorthand, shorthand way of talking about this is that this verse would be used to support closed communion, right? That that we should yeah. not give the true body and blood of Christ to those who do not believe it's the body and blood of Christ. And this would be used as in support of that. Now, closed communion is a true scriptural teaching. The question that we're asking here is, is that what this verse is saying? And, and it's certainly been used that way in the history of the church, and I think that we should respect that, right? And, and not just throw that away as if it were nothing. But, but perhaps, perhaps there is a way of reading this, and, and as you mentioned, we were talking about this earlier before we, before we got on air here. Dr. Gibbs, in his commentary on, on Matthew in the Concordia Commentary series, tries to keep it a little more contextual than, than that other reading, and, and would say that, that the giving of the pearls to the swine would be like judging a brother or sister in Christ and just throwing them out as if you could throw them out of the kingdom as if they didn't matter yeah. or something like that. And, and that I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that because I think there's certainly that attitude um, that we see that elsewhere in scripture as to how we would treat one another in the church, that the goal of speaking God's word when a person is caught up in a sin is certainly not to condemn them and throw them out, but it is, as I think you've said earlier, to restore them to the to the fellowship of the church, to restore them in repentance and in faith. And so I, I think, I mean, I think that that's a that could be a reading of it too, <laughs> um, and, and that yeah. may be one of those places where 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 we would say, you know, um, we've seen both of these readings in the history of the church, and they both have good scriptural support elsewhere. So they're both you know, they're, they're both scriptural. Which one does Jesus mean here? Maybe we could, we might be able to disagree on that. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I, if I know for sure, Pastor Almer, as yeah. to which one Jesus means. But I, I think both of them are certainly scriptural teachings that we would see not only here but elsewhere in the pages of yeah. God's Word. Yeah, for sh- for sure. And and kind of when we when we get into the the next couple of, uh, verses, when we get into the ask, seek, knock, we can kind of talk about God's gifts. In in a more fuller a treatment then, but I think sometimes we as the church uh, sometimes forget that one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us are actually the brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the pew next to us, and that these are people for whom God loved them so much that He sent His Son to die. He loved them so much that He raised His Son from the dead to defeat death for them. I mean, these people are so important to God um, that St. Paul even says, I choose to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified in, in 1 Corinthians. I mean, the, the people who are in the pews next to us, they, they are the church. They are a wonderful gift to us. And we, we ought not uh, throw them to the dogs and the pigs. I, I think that's always something that we we can be reminded of and i don't think that that sermon could be preached enough honestly and just just briefly because i do want to move on to the to the asic knock but but just briefly I, I like the way that you say that we're talking about the people who are in the pews next to us it it's very easy i think for us to take verses like these and apply them in general right that i would say well i'm not going to judge you in bishop texas and the people there in 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 saint paul lutheran church and that that's very easy for me to say cuz i don't know those people very well yeah but but jesus would invite us to apply these words to the people literally sitting right next to us in the pew that that when he talks about not throwing fellow church members out out as if they're nothing He's, he's talking about that person who sits in your church that maybe did something to you that you didn't like. That's who yeah. he's talking about. Don't, 
don't get rid of him because he's someone that Jesus died for. He's someone that's been baptized. He is a precious possession of your heavenly father. So don't throw him out. And and when we put it like that, and it's like, oh, <laughs> then, yeah, then it's a little, that, then we're back the to what we started. That's where the law really condemns. That's right, where the law right. really condemns. Right. And that's where we need to hear it so that, so that we would, so that we would hear receive God's grace all the more and and then just rejoice in in what this this gift that God has given us within the church that that man this this guy over here that that I really don't like oh, God loved him and brought him into the church and and this guy here now pointing back to me right I'm in the church even though yeah. I've done all kinds of things to my neighbors that they didn't like even though I've I've rebelled against God he's brought me into the church what 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 joy what joy yeah yeah Amen. that's great stuff yeah. So Pastor Ulmer, let, let's keep moving. And so, so Jesus then, I mean, I don't, I don't think that the Sermon on the Mount is, is just sort of, you know, here's, here's a few verses on this topic and then now we're switching gears entirely. So, so he, he moves from judging, not judging and, and sharing God's word within the church now into this matter of asking, seeking, knocking where, what's the connection? What's the move that he's making here? Yeah, I think in this in this section, Jesus kind of brilliantly is pointing anybody who ever hears this sermon back uh, one chapter to Matthew six, where he he's reminding people that they are God's people, and that no matter what they need, all they have to do is ask God. And how do we do that? Um, we pray. And how ought we pray? Well, in Matthew 6, Jesus taught his disciples, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. And from that prayer, trusting in all of God's promises, um, we people in the church get everything that we need. So I, I think this is... And I'm, I'm still rolling this around in my mind, and I, I probably won't finish it by the time we finish this series in Matthew. But, but this this idea of prayer being very important to the Sermon on the Mount is is becoming more intriguing to me because because as you said, we've heard Jesus address it earlier. Now he brings the matter of prayer up again. Now he he starts this section perhaps a bit generally. It seems to our ears, he says, "Ask it will be given. Seek you will find. Knock it will be opened." Well, ask for what, Pastor Ulmer? Seek what? What's going to be open? What? <laughs> it sounds very general, but I don't think Jesus intends it very generally. What's he talking about? Yeah, I, I think I think you got a nice thing here. Where if if you're kind of following the course of the sermon, I think the the first question that you kind of have to ask is who who is God as He has revealed Himself, and in in the Lord's Prayer, we we get the answer in the beginning. Our Father, who art in heaven, right? So in, in the Catechism, when we're, when we're dealing with uh, our Father, who art in heaven, what does it say? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children. So that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as a dear child, ask their dear Father. So we, we realize that through Christ, God the Father who is Christ's father, has made us his children. And as such, he has given us uh, the privilege to, to ask him for the things that we need. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that's kind of where you were going with this or not. Well, uh, getting there, yeah. I mean, the, but we would ask for the things that we need, right? So, uh, and here's, here's what, I, what I'm thinking, that this is, Jesus is starting to do a bit of summarizing here because yeah. he's, he's laid out for his disciples and here I'm going to use that word again that I, I just a couple days ago I said I, I think is overused, but a very radical way of life, right? Or uh, an upside down way of life, according to what the world would think, right? So, I mean, Jesus has has laid out blessed people who, when the world looks at them, the world's not going to think they're blessed. The poor in spirit, the mourners, these are not blessed according to the world standards, but according to Jesus, they are, right? And, mm -hmm. and he, he moves from there into salt and light, and, and describes then what their righteousness is going to look like in terms of no anger, no lust, use of words that's very measured, 
loving enemies, giving to those who hate you, doing things not for the sake of praise for yourself, but for the sake of glory of God, not worshiping money, not judging others, but letting God's word do the talking. I mean, this is just a, a totally upside down sort of way of life that, that Jesus has described under his kingdom. How am I going to do that? What does Jesus say? Ask, seek, knock, right? I mean, he's, 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 he's inviting the disciples into a life of prayer because they will not accomplish this life on their own. They, they cannot muster up the strength. It must be given to them by God. And Jesus says, when you ask for it, he's going to give it to you. Go ahead, Pastor Elmore. Yeah, I've talked enough. Yeah, and on top of that, he is inviting the disciples and all of the, the disciples into the future, including us, into a a life that is humble and dependent. Mm. I mean, when he's asking, when Jesus is telling us to ask, seek, and knock from the Father, we're saying that we we don't have the things that we need within ourselves. That that God, who is the the Father and Creator of all, He has those things. And he uh, has brought us into relationship with him, and that when we when we ask from his hand, we we trust that he will provide for all of our needs because we are incapable of doing it ourselves. Hmm. Right, and, and he's he, you, and he's even get that humility, you get that dependence uh, talk in in the prayer. Yes, yes, and he's even even goes he's even gone so far as to tell us what we need because we don't necessarily know what we need. Yeah. When, if we were to ask for what we thought we needed, we'd probably ask for all the wrong things. <laughs> but, but he's shown us in his grace, he's taught us what it is that we need so that we would ask him for those very things, which, which that takes us right back to what you brought up earlier, the, the Lord's prayer. You know, yeah. before Jesus gives it there in Matthew 6, this is very striking. He says, you know, you don't, you don't need to, to heap up a bunch of words like the Gentiles do because God already knows what you need. Yeah. And, and then at least in my mind, right? In my mind, if, if someone already knows what I need, well, then they can go ahead and give it to me and I don't need to do anything more, right? But, but Jesus says, because God knows what you need, ask him for it. Wow. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's not, really striking. Not only striking. that, but he, in, he invites us to do it, Right. I mean, the, the second commandment is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord mm-hmm. your God. You you have the, the negative connotation of that commandment being not curse, swear, you satanic arts, lie, deceiving by his name. But on the positive end, God has given his name to us so that we might ask. But we should call upon in every trouble, pray, praise and give thanks. I mean, that's what children do to their parents, Right. I mean, I, I'm a father of three now. When my kids need something, they they come to me and ask, um, knowing that because I love them, I'm going to give them what they need. I mean, it's just a beautiful picture in my mind. And 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 likely as a father, you've you've taught them what they need, and and yeah. you you delight then when they come to you and ask for those things, and when they do. Of course, you're going to say yes, which I, I mean, I think that's, you know, the ask, seek, knock. Jesus has said, mm-hmm. look, here, I've, I've taught you what is good. This is what your heavenly father wants to give you. So ask him for it and, and yeah. he will, he will give. And I think then to, to draw the example that you're already bringing out in, in your own life as a father, that's, that's where Jesus takes us in this parable of sorts. It's, it's not a long one, but I think we can call it a parable. In, in verses 9, 10, and 11, where Jesus describes a, maybe we could say it's from the, the lesser to the greater. He uses what human fathers do as a way to give us a, an even better picture of what God or Heavenly Father does. What's that, what's that picture that Jesus is painting for us there, Pastor Ulmer? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you call it a parable. I, I think it's a parable where he is, is speaking to people who very well have children of their own. I mean, in the in the Old Testament and in the time of Jesus, people where fathers, mothers had kids, they they understood how how to raise them up. And then no parent who who loved their child when they asked them for something good, they asked them for food, like a piece of bread or, or a fish. They're they're not. If they love their kids, they're not going to give them some terrible gift. And if, if you people who are evil know how to do this, 
What do you think God is going to, to give to you when you ask him uh, for what you need and, and align yourself with his will? Of course that he is going to give you good things. When you, when you ask God uh, to keep his name holy, when you ask God's kingdom to come, when you ask God to provide daily bread, when you ask God to forgive your sins, to protect you from temptation, to protect you from evil, of course God is going to give you those things. He loves you. He he brought you into relationship with himself by, by sending his own son to die and, and rise from the dead just so that he could give those gifts to you. Um, it, oh, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? I mean, this is this is one of the most, most comforting images that there is in the scriptures is, is that God is our father who who loves and who gives in this way. It's, it's just amazing when, you know, I, I remember the first time I read uh, the large catechism on the Lord's prayer that, that just totally blew my mind as to all the things that, that we're praying for, but particularly those first two words, our father and, and what comfort there is for us to approach God as our father, because Christ Jesus has made himself our brother and we've been adopted into the family through holy baptism as his children, to be able to approach God in this way, to ask him for things that I didn't even know I needed, but, but now that I've, I've got them, they're, they're far more incredible than I ever would have imagined. And, and to go to him with the confidence that he's going to give me those good things without fail, it, it's just, it's overwhelming. It, it's just such a it, beautiful picture that Jesus gives. It, it really is. And, and it's one thing I, I don't think that it can be taken to heart enough that in those words, our Father, we realize that we get all of these things um, because of the relationship that he's created with us. We, we, don't, we don't have to deal with our God who is some kind of far-off stranger we don't have to uh, fear God like some tyrant um, ruler. He, he has made it possible for us to call him Father because he calls us children through Jesus Christ. That way, when we approach him, we know exactly how uh, he is going to treat us as, as a father who loves um, his children. And I, I agree with you that there's hardly anything more comforting than those words. Jesus then concludes the text that we've got for today in verse 12. And I, I do think it fits a little bit better with this text that we've got today than what we're going to look at tomorrow in 13 and following with what's commonly called the golden rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And that, that language there in particular at the end of that verse, the law and the prophets, hearkening back to things Jesus has already said, seems that, that he, in some sense, he's, he's wrapping up or summarizing here yet again, that he's, he's drawing something to a conclusion. He's not finished with the sermon yet, but that, that part of it is coming to a conclusion. He's going to move on towards you know, the, the conclusion of the whole thing in the following text. What's going on here in verse 12 with this so-called golden rule? Yeah, I, th I think that you said it correctly in, in saying that this is kind of really summarizing everything that, that Jesus has said concerning the law from Matthew 5 forward. I mean, you can, you can kind of see here that the, the Jesus is saying I mean, in the near context, talking about judgment, that um, judging people based on our own standards is probably not a good idea because what happens when that judgment falls back on us? We're going to be equally or even more condemned by them, right? Yes, yes. Keep, keep going. How, how else do we see that as a summary then? There's the, the near context. Keep going. Yeah, but then but then you kind of go go back further into all all the rest of the commandments that that Jesus has has dealt with talking about uh talking about anger, um giving, trust, um lust, uh divorce, all all these kind of things that when we 
when we treat others how we would like to be treated, or when we um, when we treat people exactly how we would like to be treated, that we fulfill at least the second table of the law, and that um, by by doing the same with God, I mean we we fulfill kind of the first table. And in talking in the near context, we've been talking about idolatry a lot. Um, when when we when we understand that we are God's creation, that God has his place and we have ours, everything kind of falls into line. So it's a real nice, quick way of uh, summarizing all the law and all the prophets that uh, Jesus has been covering so far. Pastor Emily, we have just over two minutes left here on the morning. Give us a, a summary of all that we've been talking about today. Wrap things up for us. Yeah, in in Matthew 7, I think it it would behoove us to un- understand the, the issue at play here, that um, judgment, uh, when it is human, uh, switches the role of creation and creator. And when, and when this happens, uh, everything in the world kind of gets thrown out of whack. And when we do so, we end up inviting a judgment on ourselves because uh, we are not God. But we also have the uh, the kind of the command and mandate to speak God's word to the world, and in doing so, uh, life can be brought about through confession and repentance. And then also with the first commandment, in the, in the second half of this text, you're, you're dealing with ask-seeking, knocking, realizing that we are dependent creatures of God who have been uh, called and created to be God's children through Jesus Christ, and that when we uh, put ourselves uh, before him, he will provide to us uh, everything that we need, and this is truly an amazing gift. Pastor Matt Ulmer is the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Pastor Ulmer, thank you for your time today. You are welcome. Thank you, Tim. God's Word is the standard, not not what Tim Apple says, not what Matt Ulmer says, not what, what any pastor says of his own opinion, but what God has spoken. This is the judge. This is the standard, and every person stands under that. And only do we stand in confession and absolution, recognizing that what God says about us is true and receiving from him free forgiveness. And in that free forgiveness, we speak God's Word to the church, to the world, that it too would hear and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. And and with Jesus Christ as Savior, that means God is our Father. And so we go to him in prayer, asking for those things that he's told us are good, that he's promised to give us and joyful receiving from him as our Heavenly Father. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.